Welcome to Grad Life by the Horns, the bi-weekly podcast hosted by Becky Hills and Sophie Scully. We're here to make your 20s that little bit less scary. Touching on everything from career anxiety, struggling to pay your rent and the imposter syndrome that we all feel but no one talks about, this podcast will prove that ultimately we're all in the same boat. And welcome back to another episode of Grad Life by the Horns. This week, we're joined by the incredible Tally Rye. Tally has so many strings to her bow. Starting out as a drama school graduate, she decided that performing wasn't for her and decided instead to train as a personal trainer and launch her now hugely successful Instagram. Tally's career has, pardon the pun, gone from strength to strength, and she now boasts over 100,000 followers on Instagram, is a spin instructor at Digme. She's one third of the Girl Games, with whom she hosts a chart-topping podcast on BBC Five Live. And if that wasn't enough, she's now written a book. Train Happy is the book I wish I had when I first started embarking on fad diets and believing that my self-worth was tied up in what I looked like. Her focus on intuitive eating and exercise is so refreshing, and I couldn't recommend it enough. On its release, Tally wrote, For most of my 20s, I've been wrapped up in diet culture. It meant that most of my brain power had been focused on thinking about food, working out, my body composition, comparing myself to others, and only thinking I'd be successful when I fit a certain body slash beauty standard. Discovering intuitive eating and the anti-diet space has been a true revelation for me. The process of ditching the diet mentality, which I learned through intuitive eating, meant I was able to get a fresh perspective on how much time, energy, and resources I had put into shrinking my body and keeping it that way. Now if that's not enough to make you want to buy Train Happy, I don't know what is. Tally was such a joy to interview and we had such an interesting and insightful and inspiring conversation. I cannot wait for you to listen to it. You can find Tally on all social media platforms at Tally Rye and links to Fit and Fearless and her book will be in the show notes. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Grad Life by the Horns. Today we're joined by the wonderful Tally Rye. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see you. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So we start every episode by asking you a couple of questions. The first of which is, what's gone wrong in your week this week? Oh, what's gone wrong? Well, it started at the weekend when I was driving home from my grandma's house and I realised I left my AirPods at her house and I got them for Christmas and I didn't realize how invaluable they are to my life and how much I rely on them and need them and use them so just having to go back to headphones with wires has been so 2019 and yeah I've missed my technology but I finally got them back today they got posted back to me so that was really good so that kind of made me feel a little bit uh, off kilter this week just because I use them so much for when I'm doing phone calls or um, I enjoy listening to podcasts and working because I do a lot of stuff on social media and on my phone so I use them a lot on there and what else has gone wrong I think that's probably the main one that kind of threw me off balance a little bit I suppose when you get so used to using something you take it for granted don't you yeah have you got them yeah I've no. got one and I dropped one in a puzzle during <gasps> Storm Dennis and I was like oh my god and I was just there like running down the street after this airport that was going down the road in this puddle and I was like I've absolutely ruined these got home stuck it in rice it was fine stick but, it in rice that oh, is just it was the... such a stress <laughs> advice to everything well it worked nice. so but they're incredible like I, I was not sold on them at all I had no interest in owning them but they were a Christmas present and they've been the best thing I've ever been given and like within two days I knew that 
I love them. Yeah. <laughs> so to be without them was really, really sad. I know. I used to be like, oh, they're so wanky. Like, everyone yeah, I just thought they were so unnecessary. Yeah. But they're so essential to your life. So I'm not um, sponsored by Apple or paid to promote them, but <laughs> I just adore be. them. Like, yeah. Drop it in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Manifest it. And then the next question we ask is, what's going on? What's going on in your life at the moment? Well, I am about to go on holiday next week, so I am kind of counting down to that and been getting myself ready, finding all the equipment I need. Um, I'm going skiing, so I should add that's why I need equipment for my holiday. So personally, I've been kind of gathering that all together and mentally making a packing list and trying to do my washing so I have all my stuff ready. So all the glamorous stuff. And then professionally, This year I had my first book come out, Train Happy, and that has been keeping me busy, whether it's been um, doing interviews, as well as doing my usual job of personal training and teaching classes and creating content for social media. So yeah, there's a lot, there's lots going on professionally. So I'm excited for my break next week because I need it. (laughs) Yeah, skiing is so much fun as well. It's my third time going and I haven't been for a few years, so I'm like slightly nervous to see if I'll just take to it again you know like they say like it's like getting back on a bike yeah. don't they just so that's what I'm hoping snow plow, you'll be fine yeah be my fun. boyfriend's really really good at it so he, so I don't like I know he'll get me through it and he's he's kind of taught me to ski so as long as he's there and fine I'm fine you know, what I just imagined is, you know, in Bridget Jones, when she tells him that she can ski. Oh, God, that'll be and me. He, yeah. 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 In the second one, where she ends up in this, like, race, because she doesn't know what she's doing, and she's just going down this mountain at, like, full pelt into all these it. pedestrians. Maybe that could be you telling. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. May yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm going to start on the greens, which are, like, the beginner ones, and yeah. build it up again. Make for some great Instagram content as well. Yeah. Yes, like and I'm going, with, I'm going with my friend Vicky, who co-hosts the podcast. We do the Fit and Fearless podcast together, and I know that she'll be all of... She showed me all her different ski outfits, for starters. I've got, like, one, but she's got, like, different ski looks, so oh I God. know that we're going to be having little photo shoots and stuff. So that'll be really fun. Oh, exciting. Have the best time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm just really looking forward to like, like I said, a bit of a break from what has been kind of like January came and I just felt like I jumped in the deep end a little bit. So I just, nice to just take a step back for a week and then uh, re-energize to kind of go again. Yeah. So I think a good place to start is even though we're talking about the present, mm. let's rewind all the way back to just before you graduated if you want to tell us a little bit about what you studied, what you did, and we can go from there. So I went to drama school and I trained in musical theatre. I actually trained for five years in total, which is slightly unusual. But the way I did it is I did a two-year foundation course, which kind of preps you to go to, to a three-year course. And so I did that from the ages of um, 18 and I graduated when I was 23. So it's not like your standard uni education. It's such a different way of life. It's really disciplined. You're in college every day at 8am. You're doing physical warm-ups, vocal warm-ups, and then you're singing and dancing and acting every day. You, te- I think we used to finish at like five o'clock-ish, and then you probably have rehearsals after college. Mm-hmm. You also might have a part-time job. So I don't know what uni was like and I'm not going to judge anyone who's listening but from what I hear about like contact time and there's a lot more downtime for uni but there was no there was no downtime so before I graduated though so a couple of years in my second year at 
drama school that's when I also started posting on social media so I started I was getting into fitness and I realized that none of my friends gave a damn and I needed to uh, create a separate fitness Instagram which my original name was clean fit lifestyle and I shared all my recipes and all the things I was and you know my gym workouts and all that kind of stuff and yeah I was getting into that so then in my final year I was getting really into this fitness stuff it was actually quite obsessive and maybe slightly unhealthy at the time but through social media I started write it I wrote a recipe ebook and I actually sold that online this is all whilst I was in my third year show rehearsals so whilst I was potentially going through the most vital stage of my training I was distracted and I was writing an ebook that I sold online and I made a couple of hundred quid and the story is I ended up so graduating and then a few months later I trained as a personal trainer and the money I made from the ebook paid from the deposit for the course I needed to do because besides that I had no money I was in debt and I had nothing because I was just a poor drama school student side note you don't get student loans to go to drama school it's kind of like going to private school so you have to just find the money if you can if you get scholarships and you get scholarships it's all self-funded so yeah it was a fun time I was probably a bit entrepreneurial before I even graduated yeah it's taken that like side hustle culture but like yeah way earlier than it even became yeah a thing. so this is like uh six five six years ago now coming up six years ago I was doing this so yeah 2000 and <laughs> math quick math 14, 14. 14 yeah. yeah 2014 <laughs> is when I graduated <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that's amazing though because I think so many people are like you've got to do your degree and that's what you've got to do. And they don't think you can divert from that. And having a side hustle at uni, everyone's kind of like, what are you doing? But actually, like, doing it that early on as well. And then realising, actually, this is what I want to do. And immediately going into that. Yeah. Where did you get that kind of confidence to be like, this is actually what I want to do? Well, I think it was finding other people online who were doing similar things. So one of my really good friends and another co-host of the Fit and Fitness podcast, because there's three of us that host it, is Anna Van Dyke. And she also had done some ebooks at the time and people had start to do that as a way to I suppose monetize their platform and it was something I was just genuinely really passionate about and you know I was in a relationship at the time with someone who wasn't that supportive and really didn't believe I could create this ebook and really didn't think I would do it it was a kind of I'm actually passionate about this I'm gonna see it through I'm gonna do it all I took all the pictures for it on my phone I made it in like a word document and um, I mean it's fairly basic but I was really proud of it at the time I actually committed to doing it but needless to say I didn't end up pursuing musical theatre I didn't end up performing so my side hustle became my full-time job so just out of curiosity did you go into studying musical theatre with the hope that you would get a career out of it or did you study it because it was something you enjoyed doing oh I absolutely thought I was going to be on the west end that is what that was what I wanted to do and I I mean I still love theatre I still love performing I love all that stuff but I just realized that the nature of the industry it's really really tough and you are at the mercy of so many other people's opinions and it's very subjective so you could be like the most talented person but if you don't fit the criteria for a certain role then you might not get employed and I think actually deep down like I'm not very good at dealing with that uncertainty and so having a career that firstly I was super passionate about 
And I should add that drama school kind of burned me a little bit. It really wears you down. Very emotionally intense. It's very up and down. So there's some great moments, but there's also some real lows. And, you know, I I got to third year and I was pretty jaded at that point and was pretty disillusioned with everything. And so... I turned all that energy and I put it into fitness because that was something that I could do for me and I I was able to control the outcome a lot more than I was in theatre and you know I'm massively in awe of all my friends who've continued to pursue and still perform and do perform in the West End and on tours and all sorts of stuff I'm so proud of them because you have to be you have to have a thick skin and be made of tough stuff to really really go for it so yeah I I applaud them massively but I think yeah I made the right decision going into fitness because I I have no regrets what would you say was the turning point when you you came to that realization so I actually ended up deciding I was going to train as a personal trainer and I would do that part-time because fitness can also be a part-time career. Being self-employed, it's uh, the nature of the job means that you can do flexible hours, make it work for you. I thought I'd audition on the side so I could do both things. And like I said, it's tough to make acting a full-time career. So often many people are doing it part-time and having to work these other jobs in between and on the side there's a lot of people working in the fitness industry particularly in London in studios and things who are all performers dancers all sorts of stuff so it's really common and I I thought that's what I'm gonna do I qualified as a personal trainer started working in central London in a gym and doing that relatively full-time I hadn't really auditioned for anything and this is kind of a few months after graduating and at the time I was with an agency within my college And they said that they, you know, I hadn't really been auditioning because I kind of wasn't really being proactive at all. I was very much pursuing fitness. And they said, we don't want to continue working with you. And I felt really indifferent about that. I didn't feel really sad. I didn't feel gutted. I felt quite like, okay, that wasn't meant to be. And actually I'm in the right place. And I felt really good about what I was doing. And like it's, I said, I sign, isn't it? Yeah, I felt like it was a sign. And like as I said, I've got no regrets. I feel like I definitely took the right path. And for that to be my reaction, I just kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, you've got to go with that gut feeling sometimes. You do. Yeah. You do. You've got to trust your instincts and what's right for you. You know, I'm still I still use my training every day. It is like a level of performance. Even speaking now, just even just having kind of confidence to speak is something you learn and, you know, it's such a different skill set in some ways, but I think it's so invaluable and it's been invaluable to my career in fitness and the ways in which I've been able to, you know, do lots of different stuff within fitness, but all under that umbrella. So whether that be doing podcasts or making videos, I've done YouTube and stuff like that. So it's all lent itself kind of really well to what I've actually ended up doing. It's funny you say that actually, because my dissertation, because I studied English and drama, Mm. so it definitely was nothing like going to drama school. My dissertation was a documentary about the, it was called For the Love of Drama, mm. and it was like a, talking about the benefits of drama in like school and business and stuff, and it is so, so true, like the transferable skills you gain is just ridiculous. Yeah, it builds your confidence, I think it kind of gives you the tools to fake it till you make it in like public <laughs> speaking settings. It also has really taught me to not panic under pressure, and particularly when I'm teaching if stuff doesn't go to plan I know I can uh, it's going to be fine and I won't kind of break or lose it I was really 
kind of taught you know the show must go on and you're just gonna figure it out and so it really taught me to think on my feet a lot and that is something I certainly do and like I said it's it's a different education but it's one I really value. Mm. So not just in the case of of drama then it's it'll be interesting to get this advice for anyone what would what one piece of advice would you give to someone who's currently studying something and they've come to the realization that they don't want to pursue that subject as a career i think have faith in your instincts and trust yourself and ultimately if you know deep down that you don't want to be doing what you've been studying that is okay and i mean it's really scary in the instance of saying mum you've just spent a ridiculous amount of money on drama school and I'm actually not doing it anymore it's the biggest motivation to actually you know really put your ass into gear and make it happen for yourself I really wanted to prove myself to everyone not and but particularly to myself that you know I could do this I could make it work and I have to say when you're truly following your passion I know they say like you never work a day in your life <laughs> and whilst that is slightly true it's also absolutely not true you will not enjoy it sometimes and sometimes it's a struggle to motivate yourself to do things and sometimes you really just want to have a day off like everyone else and not think about work in my experience and the kind of the experience of the people around me you really also don't you just work so much harder than you kind of think you would if if you're not super passionate about it like I've personally never worked harder and never been more driven and focused with what I want to do saying that I'm not a workaholic I don't work 24 7 I have really clear boundaries in my life now learned that the hard way yeah this is, when was it that you kind of reached that point where you were like I've got to put these boundaries in what was it that led you to that so the first year of working as a personal trainer and I was teaching classes and I was still doing Instagram and stuff but that wasn't like monetized in the way that it can be now there just wasn't the opportunity then so it was before like fitness influencers were really a thing and they were becoming a thing as you know me and my friends were continuing to share stuff so I was just working kind of like normal hours kind of doing every hour I could possibly get and for the first year I basically worked seven days a week and living in Canary Wharf in London, working in the city, but then also working in Richmond on the weekend, so the totally the other side. I was exhausted. I was exhausted because you have to do early starts for personal training. So you tend to be at work for like 6 or 7 a.m. most days. Yeah. And yeah, and then sometimes you're finishing at like, you know, 7, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. And so 12, 13 hour days became a bit of the norm. And it completely burnt me out. I was so tired. It gets to a point you know, early, I think often early on in your career, you are kind of working to establish yourself. And then particularly when you're self-employed, it takes time. And then you get to choose that, the hours that you want to do and you make things fit around your life. But initially you have to be a bit of a yes person and just take all the opportunities, get all the experience you can before you can start picking and choosing what actually fits you and your personality and your needs so eventually you know over time I've been able to kind of say I don't want to work on weekends if I can avoid it I don't really want to work after six o'clock seven o'clock at night if particularly if I'm working at home these days because my working life has changed a little bit so I work at home a lot more I try to be careful that if I'm working an early morning I'm not working a late evening and vice versa so for example on Tuesdays I teach a spin class in the evening it doesn't finish till 8 15 p.m so I don't start work until 10 a.m so it's just making sure that I'm not trying to do too much 
don't need to work every hour of the day. I don't live to work, I work to live. And even though I'm doing something I'm super passionate about and I I really love and I feel really kind of cool to do, I still have to have a personal life and I still have to have a life outside of that for my own sanity. If you don't have that balance, that's when things start to go wrong because you burn yourself out and then you have to take a massive break and you beat yourself up about the fact that you're taking that massive break. Mm. And then it all starts again and you're just working in extremes all the time, which ultimately isn't healthy. Yeah, and I don't know about you, I'm going to be 30 this year so kind of have learned through my 20s kind of how to cope but I do think there's such a glorification of hustle culture and Mm. this need to like getting up super duper early to do stuff you know constantly be grinding hustling making every side hustle a job and not just having a hobby so I think it's really interesting how actually putting in boundaries, making time for yourself, just sitting down on your sofa and not really doing much at all. Seems like a bit of a rebellious act Mm. sometimes. I think it's kind of sad that we feel guilty about that. We feel guilty about taking time for ourselves when, you know, I don't think think our parents worried about that, but I think social media makes us see people doing stuff all the time. So I wake up and in the morning, if I go on Instagram stories, I'm looking at everyone's stories and, you know, there's five people who have already done about 10 things before I've even woken up. Yeah, and... That's fine because if that's their life, but doesn't mean that I have to do that. If that doesn't work with my body clock and my energy levels, then I don't have to get up at 5am if I don't want to. And a day when you're getting up at 5, they might be laying in till 1pm. Yeah. But, but you can always go online and find someone who's done something. And so you, it looks like everyone's always working 24-7 when I think some people do work too much but I also think that it's not representational of what people are actually doing because you are seeing like snapshots here and there but I do think like I said we have a bit of a glorification of hustle and work and you know working on the weekends and stuff like that and like I said for me the most important thing is my personal life my relationships friendships family and making time for that makes me a more fulfilled person rather than kind of just constantly grinding into the ground and I I think we need more of an emphasis on quality of work over quantity of work and just figuring out how we can be more productive in the time we allot to work rather than just trying to constantly be doing something because sometimes I think we're just what we're just doing stuff we're just checking our emails we're just doing this for the sake of doing it rather than with purpose and intention and if we work with purpose and intention then we're not faffing about I mean I'm a faffer but you know what I mean we're not like I often say I've got a degree in faffing I'm so good at it but at the same time when it comes to work I think we can kind of just not really be doing anything in our spare time when we really don't need to there's so much from what you've just said that I would absolutely love to talk about more but something that really stood out for me then is when you said you talked about being a yes person Mm. and a lot of people misinterpret being a yes person as being a people pleaser for you how do you define both of them so I think people pleasing is when you're saying yes to things that you don't want to do and that you're committing yourself to things that you're going to resent and boundaries are about saying no to to things in the short term may feel uncomfortable but it stops that resentment in the future where you're like I wish I never said yes to to doing this, you know, hosting this event or in an evening because actually I really need my evenings for myself. And the short-term discomfort of saying no to something is more important than 
long-term resentment and you know actually hating something they're saying yes to opportunities and experience and you know just putting yourself out there but I also think and I think you play that to your advantage and particularly when you're early in your career I don't think it's people pleasing I think it's people pleasing when you know what you're saying yes to and you know the consequences of what that yes means and you know what the work is going to entail and yet you're saying yes anyway just to please that other person but I honestly think when you're the first year out of uni the first year in your whatever job you when you say yes you don't actually know what you're saying yes to and so it's kind of different but I think once you have that knowledge of what that entails that's when you need to be more clever with your yeses and more conscious of you know what you're actually committing to and deciding whether if you're going to resent that commitment if you are saying yes yes because I remember you went through a phase where you were doing clubs and all sorts around work you just started work as well yeah honestly my first three or four months in this job I literally started the day after I left uni and I was saying yes to everything I was out every night I was socializing I was going to events I was getting in really early in the morning going to breakfast things so I was like I've got to do it this is the new job I've got to impress them and I got to Christmas and I was dead I just I mm. couldn't do it's it unsustainable anymore. yeah mm. it's it ridiculous and the more no's you say the more important yeses you can say to someone else and also the more no's you say and the more boundaries you put in place the more people value your time so that when you do commit to something and you do say yes people really value that contribution and really value your work and what you're doing um and you be more selective with it that's actually can can be more of a strength than you think it is and i don't know if he'll mind me saying this but my boyfriend is a people pleaser (laughs) and he's been working for nearly 10 years he didn't go to uni i mean he started when he was 18 he has got to the point nearly 10 years later where he's kind of decided to stop saying yes to everything and start to put boundaries in and not care quite so much give less fucks is how he's kind of viewing it and he's so much happier at work because he's not resenting things because he's not saying yes to things and not going along with things that he knows that he'll resent and he's also speaking up a bit more about how he thinks things should be done and what he thinks actually is the best strategies and all that kind of stuff. So obviously that takes time when you've established yourself in your job. I mean, in your first year, don't be saying, no, this is how it should be done. (laughs) But once you've gained a bit of experience and like you do know what you're talking about, trust your instincts, trust yourself to, like I said, put those boundaries in place. And it's really improved his time at work. He's enjoying it so much more. Yeah, oh, that's so good. What what has your personal progression been with? people pleasing did you find in your early 20s you would kind of just say yes willy-nilly to anyone and anything and now you manage to prioritize your time better yeah so I think my people pleasing came most in my personal training clients because you're working one-to-one with the person you have a really good relationship with them and they kind of like become your friend a bit so it's hard to say no so they're like, are you available at this time and you're like uh yeah I suppose I can make that happen it's actually very inconvenient for me or how it kind of works is you kind of want to group your clients together so you're not just kind of doing one person 8 a.m 11 a.m 3 p.m 7 p.m because that just ruins your whole day whereas if you did them four people in a row it's just much better use of your time so just much better time management putting in place boundaries with what I would commit to uh, with my personal training clients was really helpful for me to grow other areas of my business and you know give time to other things I was really passionate about and partly that came because 
I went down to doing part-time hours and the gym I work out of, I was able to do part-time rent. So they do two rents, so you either pay for full-time or part-time. And because I committed to part-time, I could only work three days a week. So that was a really good way of me saying, no, sorry, I can't do Tuesdays. No, sorry, I can't do Thursdays. I have to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm not coming in anyway. So that was really helpful to kind of put a, not only a verbal boundary, but an actual physical boundary where I wasn't allowed to go into the gym on one day so that was been that's been really key really for me but I'm also quite a strong-minded person and I have a, a, a lot of self-agency which is why I'm self-employed because I don't like to be told what to do I don't want anyone to, to kind of dictate to me how I should be working when I should be working it's not does not float my boat at all as a person so it's been more like learning the ropes for myself rather than having to kind of say no to other people and you know I've been self-employed for over five years and I've just become more confident and more and I just value my time more I really value that and it sounds like a lot of what you're saying has a kind of intuitive element to it and obviously your book train happy is kind of an intuitive exercise plan how do you think that mindset has worked into different elements of your life So my book's all about intuitive fitness. That means basically focusing on what you want to do with fitness rather than what you feel you should do and learning to listen to your body and understand its cues and understand what feels right for you and understanding that what's best for you is not necessarily best for your friend and trusting that process and also doing what you enjoy. And I suppose that is an ethos I kind of, like I said, it does transfer into a lot of aspects of my life. The original concept of intuitive fitness is born out of intuitive eating, which is a kind of framework of 10 principles created by two dietitians called Evelyn Tribbley and Elise Resch. It's been around for 25 years and it's all about helping people kind of heal their relationship with food and have a more positive, peaceful relationship with food because so many of us are caught in diets Mm -hmm. and, you know, feeling guilty and ashamed about what we're eating and feeling like there's good and bad food and kind of feeling stuck as to what they actually want and what they like. So it's all about rebuilding that connection. So, So that kind of framework... I applied to exercise for my book. Throughout that whole process of reading about intuitive eating, applying it to fitness has certainly made me apply it to other aspects of my life. And I definitely think I've becoming more in tune with my body in general. So for example, being self-employed, I'll be working at home and I know that I will get really tired in the afternoon. And so I don't beat myself up if I'm not super productive in the afternoon I kind of know when my best productive windows are and I just try to work in those times and kind of give myself a break and let myself have a time out or you know just a bit of downtime in I mean in the middle of the day I'm really lucky I can do that because I know that that's not when I'm the best thinking or for example if I've had a bad night's sleep the night before I'm not going to try and do something really difficult or mentally taxing the next day because I know that I'm not going to be on top form to do it but I will try and do other things and I also like I said just try and give myself that flexibility and not put so much pressure on myself to constantly be like ticking off things off my list my to-do list you know if I tick sometimes like I said if I'm on a low energy bad sleep or I'm feeling a bit under the weather if I got one thing done that day then that's amazing but you know just being a bit more chilled with yourself about it but it's also helped me understand like when I am 
in the flow, got my mojo going and, you know, really gets, like, I know, like I said, when to push myself, when to be most productive. So I suppose I apply it to that as well. So I'm I'm 23 this year and I, and I went to a sport uni, I went to Loughborough. So you would think that I would know what I enjoy doing by now, but I don't. I play netball, but whenever I go to the gym, I just feel instantly intimidated and I think a lot of people in their early 20s because they're just trying to figure out their life they're surrounded by people telling them that you know you need to start looking after your body and you know not dieting and gymming all the time but finding something that you enjoy which will make you healthier so in the context of intuitive exercise how is the best way to learn how that fits into your life if you don't know where to start well firstly if you enjoy netball then that's totally fine and I think the misconception of fitness in general is that it has to be done in a gym like you have to be working out in a gym for it to count for it to to be a fitness but actually what part of the book is aimed at is kind of busting that myth and making physical activity sport movement of any kind kind of neutralizing that you know you spoke about good and bad foods we think there are good and bad workouts particularly in in fitness with personal trainers are quite snobby about what they think is good and what they think is bad i say that being that person a few years ago everyone has their own bias don't they they do they do and for me it's and you know often we really push things like weight training and cardiovascular training but actually when it comes down to it the benefits of exercise and the benefits of regular movement are really great on your physical and mental health as we said but the best way to get those benefits is by being consistent and how are you going to be most consistent when you're doing something that you actually enjoy doing so if playing netball is your jam then that's fine that totally quote counts that is adequate that is your form of movement you don't have to go to a gym if you don't want to I should caveat that by saying if there are any personal trainers listening it doesn't mean that they don't recommend doing certain types of training for example I do think it's important for people to include resistance training if they can but we'll get to that initially when you're starting out just do what you enjoy that might just be going for a walk listening to this podcast it's all about working with your body and doing what feels good for you and then you build on that and it becomes like a building block so if netball's your thing netball's your thing and the great thing about netball is obviously from a cardiovascular perspective it's awesome coordination it's amazing but most importantly is the social connection and one of the things that we forget about with health we get so focused on how we're working out and what we're eating we forget about one of the best things for your mental health in particular is friendship connection people that say they have the happiest lives are people who've maintained strong connections and bonds in their life so that's the best thing about netball is that you're in a team and it's fun Mm. and it maybe feel really like empowering to feel part of a squad I don't know if it's a mixed team or whatever but it would be really cool to kind of like have that and it's play I think one of the biggest things is when we're kids we're doing playtime and we're running around with our friends and we're playing it you know we might be playing like netball at school or whatever but it's more like play and fun and like when you get to your 20s it's become formal and rigid and structured and the kind of fun gets sucked out of it because we're so worried about it fitness having an aesthetics based outcome and that if that doesn't change then we can't be possibly be doing it right Mm. So if we just remove that pressure of having that aesthetics outcome and tell ourselves, right, I work, you know, I've got a job now, I've got responsibilities, I'm becoming an adult, I need 
playtime in my life. I need that like a couple of hours a week to just for myself, to let off some steam, have some fun, laugh, like enjoy myself, listen to the music I enjoy. That's how we should be viewing exercises like adult playtime. Yeah, no, that, that's brilliant because mm. I'm sat next to an avid spin class goer and I'm sat opposite a spin class instructor. So maybe mm. I love like being around people. So maybe, you know, like just try new things and if it doesn't rock yeah, your boat. Exactly. You don't have to stick to it. If you go to a spin class and you decide it's not for you, then spin's not for you. Mm. But you might find that you prefer doing run club where there's more people there. Or maybe it's a thing of you you you're better in like that team environment. Whereas I'm quite happy doing things like solo and on my own. But I love things like dance classes obviously being my drama school background. <laughs> love stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's about finding what you said, what floats your boat. Mm, exactly and that's the exciting thing of being a graduate is that you do get so overwhelmed initially by the amount of stuff you can do but it's also such an opportunity to do some really cool stuff like I've tried out so many classes in London and I didn't have that opportunity when I was at school because mm. they were at different times and you couldn't get there so it's not about like seeing fitness as oh my god I've got a job and I don't have time to exercise so let's just like stick this grueling 45 minute gym class in after that work. you hate in a really busy sweaty gym with loads of people who are all doing exactly the same thing actually be like oh I could do boxing or I could go spin class or I could go for a run around Hyde Park during my lunch hour or all sorts of different things and that's what like since I've recovered from my eating disorder that's what I found the most exciting about exercise Mm. is just falling in love with it again Mm. and not seeing it as that aesthetic goal as you said being more intuitive with it something I say in the book is and something I just I'm really passionate about driving home is that approached with the like a nourishing mindset exercise is a form of self-care and not self-punishment and unfortunately we're kind of living in a in a society that has written a narrative around fitness that deems it as self-punishment as, as we said as a way to earn food burn food as a way to make us feel less guilty as a as a punishment for how we feel our bodies look and if we feel like they don't look good enough we kind of use exercise to beat ourselves up and I really want us to, and I think it's going to collectively help so many people to step away from that mindset and actually move to using exercise as a form of self-care, using it as your headspace time, your opportunity to, like I said, just have a laugh with friends, using it to de-stress, you know, as a form of empowerment as well. I think we need to collectively all shift our mindsets and becoming more intuitive and the kind of ethos of, like, my book, Train Happy, is a huge part I hope in helping slightly shift that narrative so that people do exercise for the right reasons because when we do approach things with that kind of self-care mindset once again we're going to do it more consistently and when we do it more consistently that's when we get the benefits of particularly the brain health benefits of things like Alzheimer and dementia prevention. I know it seems like when you're 21 like that stuff feels so detached from where you are right now but exercise is that kind of investment back in yourself. Like we said, it's about respect. It's about care. It's not just about looking good for selfies. Mm. But that's not a bad thing. If you want to do that, you do that. But <laughs> being your big sister to everyone listening, um, <laughs> if you think long term, there's like those really significant impacts on fitness will keep you going a lot longer than your holiday will. Yeah, I think my key takeaway from what you've just said is that you should look at fitness as an important thing but not as an urgent thing because often mm. people like like you said when you're 21 you're not thinking about the illnesses you may get when you're 70 mm. so but you should like do fitness as a part of your life where you enjoy it and it becomes a sustainable thing 
but the urgency behind fitness is where it becomes toxic because people mm. go oh I'm going to Ibiza in three I've months got, yeah. I've got to lose three stone yeah or I I've think... got to look like this so what, what what are your thoughts on that kind of urgent fitness well I think that's really interesting because I've never heard it framed like that and yet you're absolutely bang on I think that's so perceptive I do think that urgency and that need for immediate quote results is what's really harming us and I and I'm thinking out loud, but I wonder if that's part of this social media age of like being and just online era where we're able to just order anything and have it arrive at our door the next day. And we kind of expect that of fitness too. We're wanting to like do the workout and then have the six pack. Like mm-hmm. we're oh my god, it's so symptomatic. I definitely kind of have instantaneous culture. Yeah. Like, oh my god, I've seen that person with abs on Instagram. I'm gonna do twenty sit ups why haven't I got abs I'm awful and you get into that yes, negative mentality and then what's the point in doing it anyway because I don't look like that person so like what's the point lots of things to unpack there I think the main thing is like I said think about those long-term goals and like not be so urgent and pace it give it time and make it a, a sustainable part of your life and don't try and make your life revolve around it I think that's probably my biggest piece of advice into how to like have a sustainable Um, relationship with fitness I do think we feel so much pressure to look a certain way and obviously social media is going to exacerbate that when you're following certain types of people but we're also in a time where movements like the body positivity movement and people like Lizzo are being really celebrated so you've kind of got these two things that juxtapose each other you've got a looks obsessed culture that particularly is focused on keeping women thin and wanting us to be preoccupied with thinking about what we're eating how we're exercising and kind of keeping us distracted from really fulfilling our potential because we're too worried about what we look like but then you've also got this other movement that is about making the world more accepting of people in bigger bodies and celebrating people in bigger bodies and I think that is a positive thing and I think that we're kind of getting us like clash where these two things are kind of rubbing up against Mm. each other and so we feel guilty for having these aesthetic goals because shouldn't we love ourselves shouldn't we love our bodies and I just think the that guilt and feeling like we're doing it wrong if like we do want to lose weight if we do want to you know look good on holiday I think that's no one's fault and there's no one to blame there but we're kind of the overarching culture is that we're living in diet culture which does create these beauty and body standards that we're all trying to attain and aim for no one is immune to diet culture I myself have certainly not been immune to diet culture in the past it's about being kind to yourself figuring out your journey for you like I said just thinking of that bigger picture and realizing that not everything has to be so instantaneous I often say to people like what drew you to exercise why did you start exercising and the biggest response is well I did it to start you know training for weight loss or aesthetics but what actually keeps me going is how it feels and how it makes me feel as a person and so I think rather than us getting into that stop start cycle of like we said exercising for a holiday and then not bothering to do anything because there doesn't seem to be any point because we don't have any goals because it's winter and we're going to be wearing loads of clothes so like what's the point if we get into the mindset of it makes us feel really good it improves our mental health it makes us more focused gives us more clarity makes us feel 
empowered then we're going to try you know keep doing it all year round and you're going to notice your physical progression in terms of strength stamina and improvement in that sense and I think that's really important as well the j word is a overused word but it is a bit it is a journey yeah Mm. no and I think that's amazing and I think you touched on that kind of chasm between the like anti-diet movement the Mm. body positivity movement and then that diet culture that just Mm. pervades every element of our society I'd love to get your thoughts on body neutrality and how you think that that kind of transpires and how you think that actually, whether that has a, that's tenable for everyday life. Yeah, so body neutrality is something I really subscribe to and really believe in. So I should clarify that body positivity is slightly misrepresented in media and it's often framed as something that's all about loving your body, loving yourself, you know, loving your cellulite, loving your stretch marks. And really body positive is grounded in fat activism. These were activists in the kind of 60s, particularly uh, people of color and queer people in bigger bodies who were fighting for equality to be treated with the same dignity and respect as everyone else. And so really body positivity is about uplifting those marginalized voices, those marginalized people and giving them space to be themselves, letting people feel that they are able to take up space, letting people feel that they have a voice and it's ultimately fighting for respect and equality. However, through the the evolution and it's kind of shape-shifted somewhat since it kind of like gained popularity again and like I said it has become about loving yourself and loving your body and that's a separate thing I, I kind of think of that as body image and that's actually separate like it's great to love yourself it's great to love your body that can feel really unattainable and unachievable for so many people especially if you've hated yourself for so long especially if you've never felt good enough to go from you know that hatred to love feels impossible and like not achievable at all so in the middle we have body neutrality and that is the kind of understanding that you're actually more than a body you don't have to love your body you don't necessarily hate your body you can feel indifferent about it and just say you know this is the shell I inhabit and actually what's my greatest worth is who I am as a person what I contribute to the world and how I move through the world is much more important than what I look like and placing greater value in who you are for me that really helps because as with all bodies fluctuate and when we receive all these messages about good and bad bodies and you know fat's bad thin is good you know it can really play with us and can really be confusing and make you feel like you don't know yourself and one day you feel really good about yourself but the next day you try on your jeans and they're a bit tighter and it can spiral and you're like oh my goodness I need to do this and that and the other and so practicing body neutrality in that instance I always kind of say to myself Tally you are more than your body one of my favorite quotes is by these they're two twins or they're sisters but they're twins and they run a non-profit in America called UT Redefined and their slogan their mantra is your body is an instrument to be used not an ornament to be looked at and I say that to myself all the time if I'm ever having a bit of a wobble my body is an instrument to be used not an ornament to be looked at the way I look is the least interesting thing about me I have so much to offer beyond what I look like and you know believe in that trust in that because like I said you're not gonna love yourself every day you're gonna struggles other days and so neutrality I think is more achievable Um, and it kind of links with body acceptance as well where we just work on kind of accepting that 
you know, this is our genetics, this is our DNA, we're not all meant to look the same, bodies come in all shapes and sizes, and this is just how it is. And working on not only accepting yourself, but accepting other body types. Yeah, I think that's, well, that's not pretty much it, but (laughs) (laughs) there's books, there's one of the best books about body neutrality is a book called Beyond Beautiful by Anushka Reese. She writes about it really well and talks about this kind of beauty obsessed culture we're in and how to not get so caught up in it. A lot of your work and a lot of your week is taken up on social media and anyone who hasn't followed Tally, please do because it's honestly such a positive platform, it's brilliant. Oh, thank you. But I'm really interested to know actually what your take on male body positivity and female body positivity is in the social media landscape because obviously as three women sitting here we're often exposed to just female body positivity Mm. and neutrality and all that kind of stuff. But what's the landscape looking like for guys? Well, I can't say I'm the total expert, but kind of anecdotally, I do see that there are men present in kind of body neutrality, body positivity spaces and in those communities. And I do think there is a massive conversation to be had because as we have spoken about diet culture, no one is immune to it, no matter your gender. There are men who are struggling with their relationships with food. They are struggling with their relationships with their bodies. I think... Women are tend to speak about it more. We tend to be more open about it. Um, we te- we're kind of bit slightly more comfortable being more vulnerable about things. So we're we're happier to open up. I don't know if there are as many kind of safe spaces on the internet for men to do so, but I do know that it's a conversation that I think people want to have, and that there are people having it. It's something that doesn't get enough airtime and maybe isn't spoken about enough. But I do think it's there, and I do think yeah, there are people. You know, there are men in the body positivity movement. There are men who are wanting to work on body neutrality, but there also are men who are struggling with their body image. And to think of it as just a female problem would be wrong. Mm -hmm. Definitely, I agree completely. And I think that is the thing, is that men are often left out of that conversation because they're not as open about it. Yeah. And because of that, again, toxic masculinity culture, it's just like, they're just sitting there being like, I've got to have a six-pack or this, 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 or occasionally someone comes out, it's like, dad bods are great. Mm -hmm. And that's the only conversation there seems to be, especially from like a female perspective. But actually it's important to acknowledge that guys are going through the same sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I did an interview recently for another podcast and the host was a guy and he was so open about his strained relationship with food and his body. And I was so surprised. I just wasn't expecting it at all. And it was really refreshing to kind of have that conversation. So I think there are like I said conversations like that that people want to have and I think they want spaces to have them and I think that's what uh, we need to do but I also think people in those kind of more male dominated spaces need to be starting those conversations because I think that would that's the most powerful form in which it takes I think if women went in there and said come on tell us about this and tell us about that I don't think it's quite as powerful but I think we're moving there it's a slow shift Mm, but but you think there's improvements and it's a journey (laughs) Yeah, I think, I don't know if there's improvements, but there's greater awareness. Mm. And I think that's a start. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Mm. And you touched there on kind of being interviewed for other podcasts, but I'd be interested to find out with Fit and Fearless, what's been the biggest lesson you've learned from doing that podcast? Because I was listening to the Paul Nobel episode this morning Mm. and it's so moving, but you have so many different types of conversations with from like Team GB hockey players to all sorts of other people. What's that podcast taught you and what have you brought from that into your career now? Oh, that's a good question. We've done, I think this is our fifth series. And 
I've just met some incredibly inspiring people. I've learned so much knowledge and information. When we're choosing our guests, it's kind of someone we usually like or want to talk to. So we kind of know what the conversation's going to be because we have orchestrated it. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of it is reinforcing things that I'm interested in and having topics and, and, you know, discussing things that I'm interested in. I, I think the power of sport has really interested me. I am not a sporty person. I do fitness stuff and it's different. We had Sasha and Kadeen Corbin on who are England netballers and just their passion for the team sport and that environment and how being part of a team has kind of really helped them as people was really, really interesting. So even though there are guests that I choose and enjoy having on and have kind of selfishly chosen to have on, meeting people from a more sporting background has been really interesting. And I think particularly we did an episode, I can't remember if it was season one or season two with uh, Jasmine Sawyers and we were talking about the body image pressures around professional athletes and that mm, was a really I interesting conversation. Episode. Just talking to people who are kind of outside the realm of what, you know, my day-to-day fitness mm. world is has been really cool. So we wrap up every episode by asking our guests <laughs> one question. So Tally, how are you going to continue to grad life by the horns? Oh, well... I'm going to keep staying true to myself and I suppose one of the things I would want to drive home to people and we haven't really touched on actually is the biggest lesson in my 20s since graduating since working for myself has been that the greatest successes in my career have come when I've been true to myself when I've said what I wanted to say when I've not compromised and filtered my message and when I've been most direct with what I want to do and say. So I'm gonna continue to trust my instincts, do what feels right, and create the path I want rather than following other people's paths. Is it cringy to clap? (laughs) (laughs) Thank Thank you so so much. You've been absolutely wonderful. Oh, thank thank you. you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Tally, for coming on Grad Life by the Horns, sharing your experiences with graduation, how to navigate your 20s, and most importantly, the mindsets behind health and fitness that exists amongst Gen Z and millennials. I found this conversation to be fresh, new, and highly beneficial, as I do find myself, and I know a lot of other people do as well, surrounding themselves with these health and fitness accounts on social media, but you never actually process what is best for you personally. So this was a huge learning curve and we hope you guys as listeners manage to take something significant from the conversation. We covered so much with Tally and I know Becky and I say this of every single guest, but we have these kind of questions and ideas at the beginning of every conversation that we have that, you know, give us some kind of skeleton framework. But in all these conversations, loads of awesome things just pop up. And in the case of Tally, we talked about drama school, the process of following a career path that differs from your studies, and also making time for the things that are important and not urgent in lots of different contexts, not just health and fitness. We do live in a world which is always seeking to diet, look good and train for this one particular event, be it Ibiza 2020 or a marathon, but we often push ourselves through fitness routines and diets that either just don't work, don't sustain, or that we just don't enjoy doing. I can't explain how inspiring Tally's insight is with the concept of intuitive exercise and eating, and how she dissects the toxic term dieting 
and finding things that you actually enjoy. Tally's book is called Train Happy, an intuitive exercise plan for everybody. And it's out now and we cannot recommend it more. Her podcast, which is called Fit and Fearless, is through BBC Five Live and is co-hosted by Tally and the wonderful Zana Van Dyke and Victoria Spence. It's a must-listen-to podcast, and all three of these ladies are the creators of Hashtag Girl Games, which is aiming to educate, empower, and inspire. Buy her book, listen to her podcast, and follow at the Girl Games to keep up with their content. Tally is literally the perfect fitness influencer to follow on social media because she posts genuine feel-good content that can guarantee you laughs and relatable stories. So go and give her a follow at Tally Rye on Instagram. Whilst we're plugging, <laughs> please follow us on Instagram at gradlifebythehorns and on Twitter at gradlifebth. And please make sure you subscribe and let us know what you think by rating and leaving us a review. We appreciate all the support and feedback we can get. We have been lucky enough to pair up with the wonderful company Gradbay recently on their hashtag celebrate the individual featuring campaign. So check them out at www.gradbay.com and on Instagram at underscore gradbay underscore. They are a really brilliant company which is basically making the adult world and finding jobs more accessible and easy and fun and interactive for graduates. So definitely check them out. Tally, thank you so much. You are a fab, inspiring woman. Thank you to our listeners. Take care of yourselves and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.